Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, if you didn't uh, join us last week, we just began a brand new series called Intention. We opened up the series with this very... A simple yet profound concept that our God is a creative God. And when He created us, He made us with intention. There's design and purpose behind who we are, um, both as individuals and as a community, and how we ought to live. And so we're going to be spending the next few weeks diving into different concepts about what does it look like to live into the intention that God had for us when He designed us. Uh, but this week we're going to kind of going to be continuing to lay that foundation of not only is God a creator and we are his creation and we are to live creatively through that, but what is the motivation behind our intention and how we live? What's kind of the foundational place where we start? If you can imagine a house that's uh, just been bulldozed and it's going to be built a brand new house, the very first thing you need to do is lay a foundation and make sure that foundation is secure, and so that everything else that is built upon it is going to be firm, and it's not going to be moved. And that's kind of what this sermon is. This is the the foundation, the ground level, so that everything else we can build upon. And so we're going to be talking about a question that was posed to Jesus of what is the greatest, the most significant and important commandment. Because for the ancient Jewish culture, their life and their relationship with God was built around these 613 commands given in what we know as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law given by Moses. And these laws were given to the Hebrew people to, in order to live in such a way that would honor God and promote human flourishing. And so Jesus is approached when he's asked about, well, what's the greatest? How do we live our lives with the intention God has given us? We're going to read that passage found in Mark chapter 12, verses 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is the one and there is no one but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, Insert mic drop by Jesus. There's this moment where he's, he's questioned, which would have been common. It was kind of a way of having an intellectual battle for teachers of the law and rabbis at that time. And that would have been a common question. What's the most important? Now the question would be, how would you interpret this? And Jesus says, there, there's one that's given, and then he actually quotes two uh, different commandments on so different parts of, of the Pentateuch, of the Torah. 
Um, it really combines them. This is this is it. This these two seemingly different commands are actually one command that everything falls under. The teacher of the law agrees and says, "You chose rightly." And then Jesus says this peculiar phrase: "says You're not far from the kingdom of God." There's one other time in the Gospels where this phrase of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself shows up. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't quote it. Someone else does. In Luke's gospel, it says, On occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and goes on and explains the story of the Good Samaritan, which we don't have uh, the, the scope of this message to go into that, but it's a really profound and provocative story about how far love will go and mercy will go. And at the end of that story of the Good Samaritan, it says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. One of the things I'm so thankful for of Jesus' ministry is if you've ever read the Bible before, there is a level of complexity to it that is both wondrous and beautiful and mysterious. And there's another part of it that can sometimes feel overwhelming. And But when you read the Gospels, when you read the life of Jesus, He brings clarity and simplicity. And He lays that foundation. He says, listen, everything else is built upon this. And he gives them, this is the greatest command. And, and if you, if we break it down, a lot of times it's kind of turned into this Christian cliche of just like, you love God and love people. And the problem with cliches is they become normative. They become just this tongue-in-cheek kind of phrase. But what I want to do over the next few minutes is to actually stop and to ask ourselves a question, what sort of implications are behind this command that Jesus is giving. He says, everything's built upon this. And so if, if Jesus is building everything on this, then so should we. This is the beginning place, the starting point, point for us to figure out the intention of God. Uh, so three things that this command tells us to do. One is listen. Two is love. And thirdly, talks about life. Now, you might be like, where does it say to listen? But if you remember, when he's asked by the teacher of the law, the very first thing he says, the most important one to answer Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, and, and so on. And what Jesus is doing right here is he's not just coming up with the law out of thin air. If you remember, Jesus is Jewish, and he starts to quote what is called the Shema. The Shema is the the prayer that the Jewish people would pray every single day. It was the most central liturgy they had. This is what bonded them together. And so Jesus quotes that. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Dr. Tim Mackey says this, The Israelites have been steeped in polytheistic cultures for generations. From their roots in Canaan to the long years in Egypt to their traveling through the Canaanite territory in the wilderness, they've been surrounded by people worshiping many different gods. Moses clearly believes that loyalty, obedience, and love to their one true God is the only way to life. 
One of the greatest threats to Israel's future was dividing their allegiance between many gods. And so the Shema is the daily reminder that the Lord our God, uh, God alone is our God. It's important to recognize that the word Shema literally means to listen or to hear. It also means to listen and to hear in such a way as to obey. Um, we as uh, Westerners have kind of a separation. You can listen to something or you can listen in such a way to obey it. The Hebrews don't have a distinction. And so it opens up with this word, Shema O Israel. And so to begin, we have to have this starting point. If we are to build on the foundation of what does it means to live into the intention God had for us, I would offer you this, that Jesus began with the word Shema. And so should we. Our life needs to be birthed out of a place of our tuning in and our listening to the voice of God. Why? Because we're listening to something. We're listening to our newsfeed of choice, our friends, our spouse, our social media feed, the 24-hour news cycle. We, we are being formed by something. And in the same way Israel feared being influenced by different gods, we live in a culture that's being influenced by many different voices. And so the foundation has to begin with listening. What are you listening to? How are you listening? Are you tuning in to the voice of God? Henry Nouwen says that listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. I love that applied to the sense of our relationship with God. Paying full attention to the other and welcoming them into our very beings. Thomas, Thomas Kelly, the, the Quaker who lived about 100 years ago, says this, the life that intends to be wholly obedient, wholly submissive, wholly listening is astonishing in its completeness. Its joys are ravishing, its peace profound, its humility the deepest, its power world-shaking, its love enveloping, its simplicity that of a trusting child. I love, I love Kelly's thing. Like to, to those who completely listen, the life becomes beautiful and radiant, ravishing to the point of trusting like a child. Um, our friends, the Wymores, have this great phrase they say to their kids. How do Wymores listen? And the kids kind of like roll their eyes and they're like all the way right away with a happy heart. And we totally stole that phrase and we use it in our house all the time. We ask our kids who are filled with energy and their own desires and their own will, like how do we listen in this home? And they'll say, we listen all the way, right away, with a happy heart. What would our lives look like if we postured ourselves to listen all the way, right away, with a happy heart, to the voice of God? And I think that, I, I want to bring a little bit more clarity to this, because a, a lot of us approach God with this sense that if God is speaking, He's carrying with Himself a, a certain tone, that resembles more of like marching orders than a conversation. And if you believe that's the kind of God you listen to, then the chances are you're probably not going to want to tune in that much. I mean, think about your like 10th grade algebra teacher and how you listened versus how you listened to your best friend, or your significant other, how you listened to your 
J- JV football coach versus how you would listen to your mom or someone you love and you care about. There, there's a massive difference of how we listen. And if we are only listening to God for instruction and not for intimacy, then we're in a religion, not a relationship. God is more of a coach rather than a compassionate creator. I mean, I think about the very first time God spoke, um, that he had a conversation with Adam, right? The very first time God is speaking to humanity. And listen to this. We find him speaking with liberating creativity. You are free to eat of any tree, Genesis 2.16. He speaks with limiting caution. You must not eat from one tree. And he speaks with loving compassion. It's not good for man to be alone. The the very first time God is speaking to man is filled with liberating creativity, limiting caution, and loving compassion. Do we listen to God for intimacy or for correction? And I think that changes a lot of how we listen and even if we listen. Because I think the, the reason why this is so, so important is because we're listening to something. I mean, I don't, we don't have to go over the stats of how much we spend on, on screens or even on the radio or podcasts. Why not listen to the creator of our souls? John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lie, says this, When we believe truth, that is ideas that correspond to reality, We show up to reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies, to our sexuality, to our interpersonal relationships, and above all, to God himself in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions for his creation. As a result, we tend to be happy. But when we believe lies, ideas that are not congruent with the reality of God's wise and loving design, then tragically... We open our bodies to those lies and let them into our muscle memories and we allow an ideological cancer to infect our souls. We live at odds with reality and as a result we struggle to thrive because reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. This is critical. We're listening. The question is to who? Which is why Jesus at the very beginning, before he says love, he says listen. Second, theme here is is this next part when it says love love the lord your god with your heart soul strength mind and love your neighbor as yourself and when we do this what's interesting is he takes a verse in deuteronomy 6 and a verse in leviticus 19 that are books apart the only thing that combines them is the phrase you shall love it's used four times in the old Testament, in the in the in the pentateuch you shall love. And he takes two of these phrases combined by that idea and he puts this into one command. And so if you were to command, just combine this into one simple phrase is our great command. Everything is built upon the phrase you shall love. But then he specifies this saying you shall love God first with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength and you should love your neighbor and specifies that even more as yourself and there is a, there's so much here to even know like what to dive into, what to skip, like how to, how to be able to do this. But one thing I think is important to begin, if we're going to start talking about how to love God and how to love people, it's really significant to point out what the Apostle John pointed out in his letter. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now listen to verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is, again, incredibly pivotal because before we can start talking about how we love, we must first recognize that we've been loved. Because if we don't know that, our loving of people or God could somehow be turning into some warped transaction where we're trying to gain love back. We're trying to gain a sense of achievement or merit of, see God, look how I've loved you. Or look at, we go and love that person and we expect them or God to notice how much we love them. But when we recognize we've been loved first, we cannot help but love that hard family member to show them mercy the same way we've been shown mercy. To, to love your spouse when they frustrate you because you've been loved when you are frustrating towards God. That everything we do starts to change according to that. I think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world and the implications of that. A.W. Tozer has this, this beautiful quote on John 3.16. He says, Jesus Christ came not to condemn you, but to save you, knowing your name. Knowing all about you, knowing your weight right now, knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, knowing what you ate for supper and where you'll eat for breakfast, where you will sleep tonight and how much your clothing cost, who your parents were. He knows you individually as though there were not another person in the entire world. He died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. If you are out of the fold and away from God, put your name in the words of John 3.16 and say, Lord, it is I. I am the cause and reason why thou didst on earth come to die. That kind of positive personal faith and personal redeemer is what saves you. If you will just rush in there, you do not have to know all the theology and all the right words. You can say, I'm the one he came to die for. Write it down on your hearts and say, Jesus, this is me, thee and me, as though there were no others. Have that kind of personalized belief in a personal Lord and Savior. R. Kent Hughes paraphrases John 3.16 like this, For God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten Son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest opportunity, Believe it, the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the great difference have the great, greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. If you stop the video right now and you just sit with that, that God loves you this much, and that's how you listen, is for that kind of love then you are on your way to a radically different and redeemed life. That's the foundational piece. But what naturally happens when we recognize we've been loved like that, we start to love God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. We start to love others. How could we not? We've been changed. We've been so loved. We have to share it. Um, and that, and, and to be honest, I sat down and I was like, how do you love God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind? And your whole strength and, and as again as, as kind of westerners and, and rationalists we just start to think like four separate categories and i decided to ask my kids uh this question um 
I said, how do you love God with all your heart? Augustine's answer was eat cookies, which I completely theologically agree with. Uh, Jubilee's answer, our, our 10-year-old, was to say to do your Lectio. I asked my kids, how do you love God with all your soul? Vienna and Jubilee both answered, you can pray to him, which I thought was incredibly profound. I asked them, how do you love with all your mind? Vienna, our eight-year-old, said, by loving him. Jubilee said, by reading your Bible. Oh, brilliant. Um, Augustine just says, I love Jesus with my brain. So maybe it's that simple for you. And lastly, I asked, how do you love God with all your strength? And Jubilee said to preach, and Augustine's recommendation was to wrestle. Um, and I, I loved the dialogue I had with my kids in this, but I, I wonder what it would look like if you had that dialogue with the Holy Spirit. How do you love God with all your heart? How do you love God with your soul? How do you love God with your mind? How do you love God with your strength? What you do? I mean, there's so much there. Again, like I said, beyond the scope of our time, but it's something you should think about, but let it begin with how much you've been loved. And the next thing that will naturally happen is that we will begin to start loving others in a radical kind of way. And my only, my only advice for you in this is a lot of times when we hear the phrase, love others as you would love yourself, is we shortchange it by thinking that everyone wants to be loved the way that you want to be loved. And I just wanted to say, if, if, if you've been around anyone, you know that people are loved in different ways. So rather than loving someone the way you want to be loved, it's not what the verse is saying, is in the same way you desire to be loved in your unique way, love others with that same kind of intentionality. Learn who they are. Learn what honors them, what respects them, what draws them up, what lifts their chin what makes them come alive and to grow wings. Love them in that kind of way. It is lazy for us to love the people the way that we want to love them only. It takes intentionality and transformation to love the people the way they need to be loved in their own uniquenesses. And that's what this verse is calling us to do. Which leads to our last point. I find this interesting that Jesus quotes this. But he also asks someone, and they quote it, to love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But that conversation opened up with this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A question asked a handful of times throughout the Gospels. In order to understand that, we have to recognize this, that for the Jewish mind, eternal life is not something that happens after you die. And I go, this is a huge jump for us especially if you've grown up in an evangelical tradition. The eternal life in the Jewish mindset is something that is taking place now and carries into the afterlife. It is an eternal quality of life, not just a destination, but a kind of life that is accessible that God desires for us to live into. And Jesus answers that when you listen, when you shema, when you love and receive his love, then you are getting close to, you are stepping into, you are receiving that eternal life here. And now Jesus goes as far as eternal life is this knowing me. And so this is about listening. This is about love. This is also about life. Isn't this, this whole series is about life. How are we, how should we live? How do we live as an 18-year-old college student? How do we live as a single mom? How do we live as a grandparent? How do we live as an educator? How do we live um, as, as some corporate professional or a program engineer? How do, we, how do we live in the way of Jesus? And the answer 
is what we're laying here today. We, we live as people listening and attuned to the voice and truth of God. We live as a people who receive the love of God and who love God back with everything we are, love other people with everything we are, and then we will start getting close to what it means to live life to the full. That's what Jesus offered. In John 10, 10 through 11, it says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And I, I would just ask, if you're not so sure about this whole Jesus thing, can I just ask you this? What's the alternative? Do you feel like your life has been robbed because the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy? It does not mean that following Jesus frees you up from trial, from pain, from loss and suffering. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that it hits all of us. But what it means is that there is a companion, there is a presence, there is the personal relationship with Jesus that has come to bring life and life to its full. And that is what Jesus is desiring for every one of his sheep who follow his voice. It's a different kind of life. And so we're going to be spending the next few weeks diving into what is this life, this abundant life, and how do we live it with intention? And we're going to be hitting on a few different things. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk a lot about marriage. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to be talking about our, our relationship with coworkers and how do we do that well. We're going to talk about resources and how do we spend our time and how do we spend our relationships? How do we take care of our mind and our body in such a way? And so the hope is at the end of this journey is that we would find ourselves rebuilt, redesigned in such a way that our life looks practically, physically, spiritually different because we are now in accordance and alignment with the creator of the universe. But let me just, just conclude with this. If you want to live better, you must love differently and better. And if you want to love differently and better, you must receive love differently and more fully. And if you want to receive love more fully and more differently, then we must listen better. Recently, Tim Keller, who is coming to the end of his life here on this side of heaven, was asked, what's some advice you'd want to give people on how to approach their time, approach their life? And he said, he said some things that would probably be expected from someone like Tim Keller. He said to pray, to read your Bible. But then he said something interesting. He says, I think that all of us at the end of our life will want to spend more time in silence and solitude. And silence and solitude is, is a practice that Jesus had that is all about listening. It's about getting away from the noise. Turning off your phone for us is... 21st century Westerners. It's, it's getting away from kind of the corporate minutia of everything swirling around us and just stopping and saying, what does the voice of the Father have to say today? And to lean into that loving invitation that He has for every single one of you. I, I just want to express my, my heart as, as a pastor who sits with many of you and hears your stories and your triumphs and your pain is that there is so much noise and there is a loving creator 
who not only designed you with a specific intention and purpose, but longs to journey with you, with his loving, shepherding voice. And the question is, will you listen? Because if you listen, what you'll find is that you are loved. And if you are loved, you have no other choice but to turn and to be transformed slowly but surely into a person of love. And when you turn into a person that is not self-consumed in your individuality and your own selfish desires, yet you are poured out for the sake of others and the kingdom of God, you will find life. Life abundantly. And that's the invitation of Jesus. And it's the invitation for this this next series that we're going to be going on is how do we discover a life filled with the intention of our loving Creator? Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity, this invitation, not just to learn about you. We we love that. We're thankful for that. But to actually follow you, to live in such a way that our steps are in pace with you, our priorities are aligned with you, our values match your values, Lord God, that what you care about, we care about. What harms you harms us, Lord Jesus, and that you would continue to mold and to shape us more and more like you. Thank you that you've made us with intention. Let us live with the intention that you designed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.